What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the first ever edition of the Locked In Sports Podcast. Bit of a name change here for 2024. Moving on from the Critics Corner, it is officially retired, but we're back for another college football podcast. And joining me today is Mr. Joe Sieben. Joe, how you doing? Not too bad, man. Rip Critics Corner and rip Alabama. How about that game at the Rose Bowl? Whew. I mean, we got two absolutely classic college football playoff semifinal games two days ago on New Year's. Um, down goes the SEC in both Alabama and Texas. And the Big Ten's here to stay, man. It's, it, yeah, I know it, Washington's still technically in the Pac-12, but uh, this time next year, this would be an all-Big Ten national championship here uh, come, uh, this coming Monday. Yeah, I mean, incredible. We can talk. We'll go into detail about both games and, and my experience going to the Rose Bowl, which was which is really incredible. Um, but I mean, you watching on TV, what was what, how'd you feel about how things played out um, two days ago? I mean, as a neutral fan without a dog in the fight, you you can't ask for anything more. I mean, Michigan, Alabama, just an unbelievable game. It goes to overtime back and forth, a little bit more defensive, grounded pound, control the line of scrimmage. Then you go to the next game, it's Texas versus Washington. It's totally different. It's through the air, Penix in the air, uh, Texas coming back late. They made it so close. You know, they, we'll talk about that, but how do you, it was even close at the end. Like two really mm-hmm. good games. And this is what we said when the committee made these decisions of, hey, these are the best teams to make the best games. And they, they didn't miss. I mean, these were two amazing games. You can't ask for anything more in terms of how the games went. Um, obviously, as you know, an Alabama fan or as a Texas fan, you're disappointed, but from a neutral side, I mean, two all-time classics, especially at the Rose Bowl, the aerial shots, all the different colors here, too. I mean, just all-time classics, you know, putting together a great national championship in a few days now. Yeah, you mentioned the I mean, the Rose Bowl is an absolutely amazing venue to watch a football game. You have the mountains in the background. Uh, we took the walk down the hill into the valley um, to, to get to the stadium. You know, you have the iconic Rose Bowl rows and, and, and uh, mm-hmm. outside of the, out of the stadium. Um, I, I will say it is a little, a little bit older of a stadium. So it, it does take a while to get in and out and, and the seats are, are kind of tight. Concourse is nothing special, but the background, the venue itself, obviously there's so much history. The video boards are really small and, and like we weren't really able to see uh, the replays even when they showed them. Like that first pass when JJ threw, oh my God, oh. the first pass of the game when he throws an interception. We're like, I was getting flashbacks from the TCU game last year where he threw two pick sixes. What was the reaction from all the Michigan fans? I mean, literally the first play, and it was like, what's going on? It was, uh, oh God, here we go again. Like, this is yeah. happening again. Um, and obviously it got overturned. We couldn't, like I said, we couldn't see on the video board because um, the, they were so small and, and we couldn't see that. I guess his heel was out, right? Um, yeah, well, so he. He stepped out and he never re he never essentially re-entered the the playing field. So when he caught okay. it and stepped in, he never established possession. So unlike you for Alabama, but yeah, I mean I was like, Hold like where was JJ yeah. doing? Like he was trying to throw it away and he threw it right to him. So yeah. luckily, luckily for him, he was ruled out. Such a bad um throw there. He just could have chunked it into the into the sideline, but decided to throw it kind of like basically to an Alabama guy. Uh and, and I think that was Kind of a theme throughout this game, though, is Michigan was pretty sloppy in this game. Uh, we talk about that pick. We talk about uh, Samaj Morgan muffing the punt um, after we stopped Bama early in the first quarter. Um, we had, you know, a, a misplayed flea flicker that Michigan had. We had the um, the 
the second muff punt, which was would have been wow. the most painful loss in in my wow. lifetime. Uh, and, and my brother, so they bring in Jake Thaw, who's uh, I believe he's a walk on senior guy. Uh, he, so, he returned. So did, did they essentially bench Shamaz Morgan from punt returning? So no, because he came in after the after the first muff, and he returned punts for the for most of the game, and and then they put in Thaw at the end. And my brother's like, oh, it's because he's better at catching. And I told him, I'm like, yeah, he is a better catcher than Samaj, and I know Samaj is a true freshman, but he's been sitting on the bench. He's been cold this whole time. All of a sudden, you thrust him into the biggest moment of his entire life playing football. I mean, and, and he caught it within his own five or tried to catch it, so he really should have just let it go. And gotta, oh my gotta, goodness gracious! Yeah, heels on the ten ten yard line. If you start backpedaling, let it go because that would have mm-hmm. been. He was lucky that one, he got the ball, and two, that he didn't end up in the end zone. Yeah, I mean, he got out to the to the one. Then we had Harbaugh calling a timeout, what, basically what icing Jim Harbaugh. My brother said that he he thought it was they a didn't have game. a guy lined up on the right side, a one side of the line, to where if they fumbled the snap, they would have wouldn't have been able to recover it. Something like that it was his explanation, and I kind of theorized that it had something to do with maybe they were lined up in like an illegal mm-hmm. formation or something. I don't know. But either way, it, in the real time, it looked like Michigan was basically icing their own quarterback uh, yes. on the kneel down play, which is crazy. The whole game was was just absolutely wild. Uh, we were on the Michigan side. And I will say like hats off to the Bama fans. They were great, uh, pure class, you know, no no hard feelings toward the Michigan fans. And, and they kind of know that this isn't the best team that they've had in, in quite, you know, that mm-hmm. they've had, period, and, and uh, the fact that Har- uh, not Harbaugh, the fact that Saban's gotten them here and got them in the situation to win this game was was impressive for them. And they're like, I mean, look how many rings we have. Like it's okay. Um, and and I, and they were very nice. There was a couple of Bama fans sitting in front of us. Um, so it, it was a great experience all around. When Michigan won, I mean, pure jubilation, hugging random people, giving everyone high fives, uh, taking photo. I mean, you just couldn't believe it. Um, especially because you know right there in like in the fourth quarter when when uh, Alabama was up by a touchdown uh or by four points and they were kind of driving and if they scored a touchdown it was over like the vibes it kind of just felt like they're in the middle of the fourth quarter that we probably weren't going to pull it out um and then you know they hold them to a field goal and they have the drive of of you know one of the biggest drives in Michigan history uh if they go on to win the natty it'll be the biggest drive uh in Michigan history there touchdown pass to Roman Wilson you had the prop it cashed um so we can talk about you know the game and everything that happened but what were kind of some of your biggest you know takeaways and what led to to the Michigan victory yeah 100% I mean kind of to your point like it wasn't Michigan's best game like a little sloppy especially on special teams that the two punts the the extra point that happened, you know, there was definitely things that they messed up on. It wasn't their their best game, but they found a way to neutralize Milrow and put him in bad situations. It felt like, and and we'll talk about the Alabama center. That that's a big conversation point um, as well. He actually just entered the portal. Portal, today. portal. He gone. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was getting harassed, unfortunately, by by their fan base. Mm-hmm. But that was a big thing. So kind of the small details showed up a lot to me. But a big thing, man, is. I, just the weight on his shoulders, Blake Corm, that guy just shows up. He just shows up. I mean, last drive of the game and in overtime, I mean, in overtime, the two plays he had, he, he gets in the end zone. The guy's got a nose for the end zone. He wants it. I felt like more than anybody on that football field. Um, JJ, again, not his best game, but ended up with three touchdown passes and and played well. And outside of that first pass, maybe it was jitters, nerves. Um, he, he really settled down. He didn't make a ton of mistakes. So I thought he played 
cool, calm, collected. And, and that's a big thing is don't make mistakes in this game where they control the line of scrimmage. That defense showed up mm-hmm. big time late in the game, and it, it was huge to get stops, stop Alabama into overtime. You know, we'll talk about that. But it felt like Alabama had a chance um, to have like a classic Saban drive, you know, step on somebody's throat and end it late in that fourth quarter. When, when Michigan held into a field goal, it just felt like the tides turned. And when, when they went on that drive, they were just mm. clicking on all cylinders. And going in overtime, I think Corb had a quote after. He was like, when we got to overtime, we knew it was over. And it, it did feel like that. Once they scored late, it just felt like everything switched. And Michigan was like, mm-hmm. we got this. Like We're, we're clicking on all cylinders. But, I mean, won a game back and forth. Just felt like Michigan was a little bit better, and, and it showed in the end. But the small details was a big takeaway for me for both teams. Yeah, the the we scored the touchdown with like a minute left, and I was like, eh, that's kind of a lot of time. Um, and and Alabama went three and out, and I think a huge reason that Michigan won this game is the secondary. You know, Alabama wasn't able to get anything going forward down the field throwing the football with Milrow. Milrow, uh, Milrow only threw for. 116 yards and 16 completions. And and we saw this early on in the first half where Alabama's game plan clearly was, we're going to try to throw the football and they made Milrow a passer. And Michigan had five sacks in the first half alone. They went away from that in the second half and it really started to work for them. Uh, they were using Jace McClellan. Justice Haynes had a few carries uh, and Milrow had 21 carries for 63 yards. They were really kind of going back to their bread and butter of, of letting Milrow become a runner, which is where he's at his best. Michigan did a great job of basically eliminating the Alabama passing attack whatsoever. Uh, Jermaine Burton had four catches for 21 yards. Isaiah Bond only had 47 yards receiving. They were, you know, the secondary was was really good for Michigan. Will Johnson, um, Josh Wallace, uh, Rod Moore at safety, all those guys, Makari Page. Great job defending Alabama's passing attack. And, and I think that was a huge factor in the win. Uh, and, and they got that huge stop in the fourth quarter. And then the last play of the game, I mean, Alabama had it on the three-yard line. And, and they go back to their bread and butter, the the um, the Milrow sneak, the QB draw. The guy next to me called it before it even happened. He's like, hey, we're going QB, they're going to go QB sneak here. They got to, you know, it's the best player that they have. They're going to got to give it to him in this, in this kind of situation. And, and obviously, there were like three timeouts. Uh, before that play call and and Nick Saban said they called three different plays the first time Michigan called a timeout because and, and Alabama said that they thought they had a good look and then the second time Alabama called the timeout because they thought that they had a bad look against Michigan's defense and then the third time you know what happened happened and jo- Josiah Stewart great job absolutely plowing uh Proctor the right tackle um down there to to help get that stop and and Michigan won on that play um yeah, and, and you mentioned line of scrimmage. That was that was another huge thing for me. Is is Michigan was was, and I wish they didn't get away from it as much as they did, especially in uh, like the middle of the first half uh, into the second into the third quarter, uh, running the football, just dominating the line of scrimmage, and and that's something that I maybe didn't expect to see happen the way that it did, uh, but was really impressed. Blake Corum, eight, nineteen carries, eighty three yards, and a touchdown, average four point four yards per carry. Uh, that I mean, that's a first down every time. It, 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 every every set of of you know every chain whatever every, every first down. If you run four, three plays and you get four yards each, that's a first down every single time. So uh, Michigan did a really good job of of winning the line of scrimmage, which was not expected. Uh, you know when you talk about the the age old tropes of SEC strength, speed, conditioning, all that stuff. Michigan kind of put that narrative to bed, and it's an absolutely massive win for the program to to beat an SEC champion. 
Um, it's something that we haven't seen done in the playoff in, in quite some time. It's the last time, the last time that the SEC hasn't been represented in the national title, I believe was 2014 when it was Ohio state, Oregon, the first year of the playoffs. So it's, it's clearly the best conference in the country and, and to beat the champion from the best conference, I feel like it's even more vindicating than beating, you know, a Florida state team, uh, that clearly wasn't a hundred percent. So, um, a really, really fascinating, fascinating game. And like, uh, just a truly vindicating like it, it it feels better um beating bama than it would have florida state i think yeah i mean this game was close i know it wasn't bama's best team in the past decade but this is saban he found a way to get him here and, and put him in into a chance to win this ball game and you know back to that final play where the game ended it, it felt like they were going to go with milrow and they had you know michigan had a sack they got him to third and 15 kind of a, a thing for the game too is Alabama did make him a passer and Michigan was great at spying him, you know, just get getting those shoelace tackles. He wasn't quite as elusive and it felt like for a mobile quarterback. So massive job by them. And then, you know, they make that big play on third down. In overtime. I think it was to Jermaine Burton to get him close mm-hmm. uh, to about the four or five yard line. Huge, felt- ta- huge tackle on that play, by the way. Massive, huge tackle. tackle. Yeah. Great tackle. Um, but after that, it did feel like they were going to go to a, a Milrow option there. And I think it was an, an RPO or almost a pass option. It was a bad snap. It was low. He didn't have a chance to look to his left to the running back in the flat. Mm-hmm. He had to run, and, and Michigan had pressure. It was over. Maybe he's able to throw it if it's a better snap. Uh, but it, it felt like they were going to force it there, and Michigan called it correctly. And, you know, what a master class between Saban and Harbaugh with the timeouts and the looks. Uh, that was pretty cool to see them going at it uh, in overtime. But, it, you know, Michigan just showed up when they took that – when they tied it late. Um it went over to overtime. I feel like they had it, but you know, back to the points about the special teams, the the missed Ugh. field goal yeah. and the, yep. the missed extra point, it almost yep. cost them. It yep. almost cost them big time. I know, I know. And, and James Turner, the Michigan kicker, has been so good for us this whole year. Mm-hmm. Miss it was like a thirty something yarder, maybe a forty something yarder that he missed. Uh, Tommy Doman did a good job punting for Michigan. I thought Bama's punter was really good. James yep. Burnip, he was good. He except that one flop he had uh early on. Um but yeah, special teams was a huge concern for Michigan in this game. It almost cost them. Um but it, maybe it's good for them to kind of get this bad one out of the way before the natty on on Monday night. Um what else? Oh, the, the Bama center, Seth McLaughlin. He I mean, there were obviously the three plays that really stood out it, the the last play of the game. And then the two plays, I think it was the second or third quarter where uh, he Milrow missed the snap, but there were low snaps the entire game. Mm-hmm. And it's been a theme for them the entire season. We remember in the Auburn game uh, before the, the fourth and 31, it, it, they were back that far because of a really bad snap that got past Jalen Milrow. He, I mean, there's, I, I guess there's a reason that he's in the portal now. Um, but don't like, you know, he doesn't deserve any abuse. That's, that's horrible. I hope he, uh, I hope he's not getting that from Alabama fans. Um, but he, 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 he did not play a good game. Yeah, that was, that was definitely a rough run. And, you know, it's the small things like that from a saving team. You don't expect to bite them, um, but it did. It was, it just, it neutralized a lot of things. And, and Melrose couldn't go through his reads and different progressions because he had to figure it out right away then if, if he was a little off kilter. Um, and kind of your thing about making him a passer. You know, McClellan, when he had the ball, he looked pretty good. I would have liked them to, to lean a little bit more into the run, maybe, or, or try to mm-hmm. find a way to do that. But Michigan neutralized the passing game, so they, they were kind of one-dimensional, it felt like, forcing it at that point. But I thought from the start, you know, Tommy Reese could have maybe tried to use Melrose a little bit more in terms of running the ball and get McClellan. McClellan had two touchdowns. When he had the ball, he looked pretty yep. good. Yeah, he did. And and I thought 
when Michigan had to honor their run game, it would have opened up the passing game more than it did. And it, it still didn't. Even when Alabama was running the football really well in the second half, they didn't get much in the air. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Michigan made a lot of great plays, especially on the edges, like a lot of key tackles from guys like Mikey Sanders still um, and, and, and the linebackers, uh, even like uh, you know Josh Wallace and Will Johnson out there. Um, Keon Saab had a huge tackle, um, I believe, in the fourth quarter as well. So, you know, this one, it's one another one of those football games that was decided on on a razor's edge and Michigan just made more plays down the stretch, got the stop on the last play of the game. Um, but it felt like if Michigan just played a clean football game, uh, no, you know, fumbles, the, the, that one double pass that ended up working for Michigan where McCarthy caught it one handed and threw it to Roman Wilson could have been an absolute disaster, mm-hmm. uh, ended up working out. If, if Michigan just played a clean game, they, I think they would have won by, you know, 10 points maybe even two touchdowns because uh, they really did dominate the line of scrimmage. Another point I want to make is the Michigan Michigan's game plan on offense was exquisite chef chef's kiss uh, shout out to Sharon Moore. Um, uh, clearly, you know, they wanted to come in and do a lot, a lot, a lot of pre-snap motions um, to get, you know, a lot of different looks for that Alabama defense. And it seemed to work. Um, I don't remember Corum doing much, in terms of receiving the football, but he had a receiving touchdown this game, had that huge catch on fourth down um, in, in the fourth quarter on that last drive. Yeah, I think he, coming into this game, he only had like 13, 12 receptions on the year, um, and, and he had two for 35 in, in this game for a touchdown. Uh, obviously, the one the one big one in the fourth quarter with a horrible block in the back, by the way, uh, by Roman Wilson. Oh, Roman Just, Wilson? Oh, yes. It what was, was he thinking? It was such a great play, and it would have been such a great play even if he just got tackled right there, ran out mm-hmm. of bounds. Or I just don't get what Wilson was doing. He literally – it was like – it wasn't one of those close, like, oh, shoulder to shoulder, like, you know, 50-50 close. He just hit him, like, in the back. You could see his name on the back. I was like, what, what was he thinking? Saw it from an absolute mile away uh, up in the stands too. I mean, there were a lot of missed calls in this game. Did they show on the broadcast – the one that went uh, went uncalled where I think it was Mikey Sanders still, he came in at wide receiver and he was blocking on a run play and the Alabama guy basically body slammed him 30, 40 yards away from the play and they didn't call it. Yep. They yep, showed that. Yeah, they, missed, they missed that one. Uh, terrible call there. They missed the J.J. McCarthy. Uh, he had a run in on that last drive in the fourth quarter. Should have been a, a late hit out of bounds. Didn't call that one. That was late. He had, he had both feet yeah. out of bounds. It was right after another flag too that went Alabama's way, and then that one happened. It was like I can't believe they didn't call that. Like you, I think it was. That. I think it was right after the block in the back. Yeah, it I was. think it was right after that play. Um, there was the. I think Alabama only had three penalties, and I think they were all procedural, like a couple false starts, and then uh, they had a um, illegal substitution. Yeah, three penalties for fifteen yards. Michigan only had two penalties for twenty-five yards. Um, but oh, the forty-four Ben Bredesen. The unnecessary roughness. You think that was unnecessary roughness? It. I mean, just it depends how they're calling the game. Like they, they, you just got to call them all if you're going to call that one. I think. Right. Then you have. Then if you call that one, you have to call the the foul on on Sanders still, um, on the block. You have to. Mm-hmm. And I think that the punter, the the Alabama punter, had a huge flop. That I I'll here's what I'll say on that one on the four it was fourth and four mm-hmm. he did he did flop a lot but he did technically run into him before he planted his foot 
They yeah. could have called running to the kicker. The broadcast was kind of like torn, I think, on, on what should the call should be because he was so egregious and now he flopped. And they're like, well, did he just not put his foot down on purpose? But that that was close, and it would have given him a first down, actually. I know, I know. It was, And that was, I believe, in the first quarter. Um, that would have been a big swing for Bama, for sure. Um, they, they didn't call it. I think he, maybe he flopped too much. He yeah, might have flopped too much. He acted like he was hurt then, too. It was just too I, much. I know, I know. We were, we were joking in our section. Like, he came back to, to have a really good game for them. Yeah. And we're like, oh, I guess he's okay. I guess he's back after that tra- traumatic injury um, from the, from the block. Everyone was joking about that. I felt bad. There was a little. There was about six, seven Alabama fans in the row in front of us. I think it was just one family, and they had one little kid. He's probably like three, four, three, four years old. And he was at the end of the game. I think it was too loud for him, and he was crying. Uh, they had the headphones for him, and, and obviously there was just endless swearing the entire game from the yeah. Michigan fans and the, 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 the family was trying to cover his ears. I'm like, I, I did feel bad for the kid, but I, I would feel worse for him if he was, you know, I don't know, some, you know, a Notre Dame fan or like he's an Alabama <laughs> fan. Like you're going to get plenty of opportunities to win a title. <laughs> yeah. No, they, they've been there. So, I mean, huge for Michigan. They get the monkey off the back. They finally win the playoff. They're finally going to the national championship and they knock off uh, the king of all Kings, Nick Saban and, and the SEC, the, the vaunted SEC thing. It's the first time in maybe nine years where they haven't made it to the the title game. Yep. So I know uh, Greg Sankey and those guys, are, they're not too happy. Not too happy. And he thought they should have had two teams in the playoff this yeah. year. Oh, oh, can we talk about the on the last drive? I didn't realize the, the pass to Roman Wilson was tipped. I didn't realize that in real time. Yep. Could have been yeah, a pick. Yep. Or if a pass is tipped, they can just, you can just start hitting people. It yeah. was really hard to tell. Like in live time, it, it didn't look like it got tipped. It looked like just slightly wobbly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was huge. I mean, literally a game of inches. If it goes one way left or, or right, it's either a perfect pass or that's batted to the ground and, and you know takes away that play. Um, but yeah, it goes in the air. Great catch by him. Um, the DB, like in theory, if he had known it was tipped, could just start, you can knock him over at that point. It's a live ball. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, game of inches. How about that? Yeah, I think that 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 was kind of the major takeaway from both of these games is Razor's Edge um, could have gone either way. I, I feel that way more about the Alabama game than I do the the Texas Washington game. Um, but you got anything before we move on to the to the Sugar Bowl? I, I guess I should say that you know the ratings absolutely back up kind of the hype that was surrounding these games. Um, it was top ten like of all time. Yeah, the Michigan Alabama Rose Bowl had twenty seven point two million viewers. Uh, the large, largest college football audience since the 2018 Alabama-Georgia national title game and the second largest since the the first ever playoff in 2015. And outside of the NFL, no sporting event has ever averaged a, a larger audience since the opening ceremony of the 2018 Winter Olympics. Um, and then I think the Sugar Bowl had uh, a little bit lower. Yeah, they had 18.4 million, um, which was actually down 18% from the Georgia-Ohio State Peach Bowl. Again, I, I think a lot of that is is just the fact that it was so late started past nine o'clock Eastern. Um, and, and you have a massive brand in Texas. It's not like the, and in Washington, Washington's a big brand with a you know huge uh, alumni network across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it was cause that game started so late and it ended yeah. so late. Yeah. They, you know, with Michigan going to overtime, um, they waited to start the next game, which they're already kind of close in terms of start times to begin with. It felt like yeah. it was going to get pushed. Just based on you know how these guys run the ball and it can take a little bit longer. One one final thing I want to make on the Michigan one was Herb Street had an interesting point. He said, "There's nothing like this atmosphere, uh, Rose Bowl, mm-hmm. Granddaddy of them all." 
he said the national championship every year should be there. I mean, they won't do that with how it's aligned and, and money for different venues and everything, but right. what do you think about that? I think it's the the crown jewel of college football. You know, the Rose Bowl is college football. Um, it, do, it does not get any better than the games at the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I, would, I would be for it. I absolutely would be for it. it it'll never happen, like you said, because of contracts, money, um, the cities, you know, the cities, you know, spend a lot of money yeah. trying to get these events. But it would feel a lot cooler to have a Washington, Michigan national championship in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl mm-hmm. instead of NRG Stadium in Houston. It's just not the same. These NFL, you know, these NFL domed stadiums don't have much character. Um, I'd say that, you know, the the outside stadiums maybe in the NFL have a little bit more character. Um, but it, I think it does make sense to have like a, a college football national championship in a college football stadium. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, that atmosphere, I've never been to to the Rose Bowl or even a game of that stature, but there was just something about it. There's something about, you know, the sight line, the aerial shots, the the sunset there with the backdrop. Um, and it's just so iconic. And like you said about, it's not flashy, it's old school. It's It's just got that tradition. So there's something different about playing there versus NRG Stadium or, yeah. or you know, wherever it may be. It's just different. It's just different. The outdoors and being in California, we're gonna you're gonna get good weather. Um, they won't do it, but pretty pretty cool idea, and it would be pretty sweet if they did. Yeah, and Joel Klatt backed it up too. So I mean, they have two of the biggest uh, announcers in college football kind of backing it. So maybe there's gonna be some traction uh, for that moving forward. I don't know. Also, the flyover was sick. Uh, oh, B two awesome. stealth bomber, I think. Yeah, did they yeah. show they showed it on TV? Yeah, and then there were some cool aerial shots after. And it was cool because, like, I mean, I think there was a little bit more Michigan fans, but it was a pretty close split. And the different colors you can see up mm-hmm. there in the B2 bombers, it was a cool shot. Yeah, I, I would say there was there were more Michigan fans, but it was close. It was probably maybe 65% Michigan, 35, 35 Bama. Um, but like I said, the Bama fans were loud, and they, they were good. So all respect to mm-hmm. them. And all-time win for me, definitely, you know, I mean, coming from more Michigan – you know, it's not like Michigan's been here my life. You know, I remember the Brady Hoke era, growing up in the Rich Rod era, the end of the Lloyd Carr era, which actually ended on a, a high note. I remember crying like a baby when I was a little kid when we lost to Appalachian State. So it feels <laughs> good to to get here. Uh, biggest win of, of my Michigan fandom life. So um, hats off to Bama, obviously great team. Um, but Michigan moves on to the title game. One more to go. And they're going to be playing the Washington Huskies, who knocked off the Texas Longhorns in the Sugar Bowl, thirty-seven to thirty-one. Uh, I missed the first half of this game. I only caught up through them uh, through highlights. I, I watched obviously the second half in, in Texas's comeback. But I mean, what what uh, were your takeaways from this game? Uh, and and kind of talk about the first half too. I mean, did did it feel like Texas was like they almost won this game? They were one play away from winning this game. Did it feel like Texas? was the better team because to me from what i watched you know in in the second half it it felt like washington was kind of all over them yeah thoughts and prayers are a guy poppy david last week but you know to your point and i i texted you and you started watching for the second half and this was how it was all game washington was one step ahead they started up 7-0 and texas was coming back and forth they were answering but washington was one step ahead they were scoring in a hurry panicked was dealing man yeah. this guy had the ball on a frozen rope and they they were the better t- if texas had won we'll talk about how the finish and the fact that they were in that position to begin with but if they had won that game 
it would have felt like they stole that game. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're worthy to win. They're their top, you know, four team in the country. But Washington it just felt like they deserved that one the way they played and and they were just they just felt like the better team. Like they they played better and you know, Penix was a big part of that. It would have felt like Texas just stole it out right from underneath them. Um, but they had their chances right at the end, man. What a what a Ooh. finish in this one too. Ooh, yeah, I mean we can go to the finish and then kind of go backwards. You had the injury to Dylan Johnson, the Washington running back, which bought Texas basically 30 seconds. They would have had the ball with 10 seconds to drive the whole field. And they only end up with 15 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. They end up with 40. And then they had the the kick catch interference gives them 15 free yards. They moved the ball. Brutal. 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 Uh, Special teams in both of these games, man. Theme. Rusty yeah. special teams. Uh, Texas had two fumbles in this game, Jaden Blue and CJ Baxter. I, I, muffed the punt as well. Uh, that was Washington that muffed the punt. Um, but yeah, they drive down the field. Um, and and they, they, first of all, on, on the last set of downs, the first two play calls, there's one check down to the flats. Um, terrible call. Terrible play call there. I thought when you look at the last play of the game and watch the replay, if, because Adonai Mitchell basically runs a button hook route, right? If if Ewers zips it in there and puts it on on his numbers in his chest, it's a touchdown, and they win. But he lobs it in there, back shoulder, basically out of bounds. He has no chance of catching it. Yes, the safety makes a good play, knocking it away or the corner or whatever. But if that passes a frozen rope, Texas is playing Michigan next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one Kalen DeBoer, I, I didn't love. You know the last like eight minutes of his of his game plan of how he was running mm-hmm. the clock. I get it with Penix, you want to be able to have him throw, but I feel like they should have ran the ball more. They were just controlling it and just didn't drain as much clock as possible. The Dylan Johnson thing was just very unfortunate. Um, you could say maybe they just need that ball. You know they could yeah. just need it, um, but very unfortunate injury. You can't yeah. you know play flat and then it's an injury timeout. Texas goes down again. The special teams like you can't run into the returner there. That, that was that was brutal. Then Texas was rolling, and then when they got to like the fifteen, Sarks calls those last three, they had three, four shots to the end zone. The first one was like a checkdown. It's like, why would you do that? Because if he's in bounds, that game's probably over. So they were lucky. It was kind of a bad pass, and it didn't work out. And then, yeah, Quinn's passes the last two, maybe three to the end zone. Um, it just it was a little bit off. Washington was getting a little bit of pressure. I don't know if that affected it or if it was the timing. Timing almost felt a little bit off a lot of the night, too, for Quinn and the receivers um, on different routes. It just wasn't as crisp. Like, those passes, like you said, if he hits it perfectly and they're, they're in communication, Texas is probably playing on Monday night, but just not the right pass. And, and you know, they had chances for sure. Yeah, I think you made a good point about Washington shouldn't have – or Texas shouldn't have even really had the opportunity to win that game. Um, mm-hmm. When Washington was up by – uh, whatever it was, six points, uh, and driving with, or I can't remember exactly how much they were up, but they were driving with the ball, trying to kill off the clock. And I was telling my brother, like, is, is, does Washington have the run game? Do they trust the run game enough to to kill the clock out here? Because they they didn't really get much going on the ground the entire game. They only had 102 yards rushing. The running back, uh, Dylan Johnson, had 49 yards rushing. Um, two touchdowns on 21 carries and, and they actually used Penix as, as a rusher as well. He had three carries for 31 yards. Um, but outside of that, not much production on the ground, really not much production on the ground at all. Uh, and they kept passing when, when it was clear run the clock out situation. Um, obviously, you know, they have a lot of trust in that passing game and, and Penix was absolutely incredible, 
But if they were able to just run the clock down, game's over. Instead, Texas gets the ball back, um, and, and uh, they don't get it done ultimately. But it was, it was really close. I think this game really honestly came down to Washington has a great quarterback, an elite quarterback. I, I've been saying it all year. I will remember this season um, in terms of like Heisman-wise. I'll remember it as the Penix season, not not the Jane Daniels season. I'll remember what, what, uh, what Penix did at Washington much more than I will what Jane Daniels did at LSU. And, and, and Penix um, and Washington has a great quarterback in Penix and, and Texas has a solid, but not necessarily a championship caliber quarterback in when yours. Um, and, and that's, that's what won them this game. Uh, even when Texas was getting pressure, and I thought Texas did a good job winning the interior line. And that's something we talked about in the preview, right? Is Washington won the Joe Moore award. They have really good tackles, but the interior line is their weakness. And, um, Texas's strength on their defensive line is their nose tackles, right? Um, Tavondre Sweat, uh, and, and he was having he had a great game um, for the Longhorns, and they were getting pressure to Penix, but he's able to just sidestep it and get out and still throw absolute frozen ropes. I mean, he was putting the the ball on an absolute dime in this game. Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk went for 100 plus yards. Jalen McMillan had 58 yards and a touchdown. Their passing attack won them this game, and we came into the game knowing that Texas. Their secondary it was weak, and that was the major question is, was it going to be able to hold up? Unfortunately for David, it did not in this game. And, and I think that's what won Washington this football game is, is their, their transcendent passing attack. Yeah, 100%. I mean, not much on the running game. You know, they, they tried a little bit, and, and Dylan Johnson came up clutch with two scores um, in short yardage. But, yeah, Texas, I'm seeing, you know, no sacks, um, you know, a couple tackles for loss. But – they, they just didn't get to Penix, and this guy's got a quick release. These receivers, if you, you know, one, you know, that Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, they gave him time, and that's all these wideouts need, man, against not the best secondary in the country. When they have time, they're going to find spots to sit down, spots to get open, you know, time to get down the field. So their routes developed, and he was finding Odunze, Polk, McMillan, Westover, just a three-headed monster. All these guys were contributing. So, I mean... And even outside of that, there was tough, tough throws, tight windows, Penix. There was a throw late in the game, the fourth quarter, where he dropped it into a bucket. And I yeah. was like, how the heck yeah. did he do that? At the, the DB turned around, it was to Odunze. The DB turned around and didn't know the ball went by him. Like, this ball was, oh my goodness. These throws were just incredible by him. He had a couple of good scrambles and, and he had 30 yards rushing. Um, so he was just phenomenal. 29 of 38 for 430. 430 yards. He was just dicing up the secondary. And it could have been different if they just got a little bit of pressure, forced him out of the pocket, forced him on the run, or got a sack or two. But they, they just couldn't get to him in time. And there was just – he was firing all cylinders with his wideouts. And that was a difference. As Quinn, Quinn played solid. He had 300-plus you know, throwing. But just communication was a little bit off in terms of timing with his wideouts. And Pennix just out-dueled them. And, and once they started with the ball, went up seven rip, um, Texas was just on their heels the whole game. They were, they were right there but they were just a step behind it felt like the whole time. Yeah. And they, they were, you mentioned the the play where the Texas DB didn't see the ball coming. There were a lot of plays on, on Texas's offense where the wide receivers didn't see the ball coming and they weren't looking at the ball um, coming at them from, from yours. Uh, I thought late in the game, late yeah. in the game too, there was dude, Braylon Trice was getting I was gonna that say. Awesome job by, by their D line and him in particular, he'll, he'll be a first round pick too. Um, but yeah, it was, it was Quinn having to get the ball out early and the guys, didn't even know the ball was there. Like, Jatavian Sanders had a pretty good game, but there was a couple late in the game where 
ball, he, he was turning. The ball was over his head already. He was like, what's I know. going on? I know. Um, they had that one tight end that had a catch at the end. Massive guy, number 80, Malik Ogbo. Shout out to him, 6'4", 294 at tight end. I did not expect to see him in the game. Uh, he had a catch. But I, I did want to talk about the Washington defense because I think you, you made a good point. They were not necessarily a vaunted unit. And if you talk about all, all sides of the ball, all units in this college football playoff, Washington's defense was probably the weakest, I, I, I would say. Uh, and, and they stepped up when it, when it needed to happen. Uh, Jabbar Muhammad made plays down the stretch at corner. No, he got hurt there, uh, the shoulder, but came back in. Um, and then obviously had that pass breakup at the end. That wasn't Muhammad, um, but they made plays. Uh, Braylon Trice really stood out to me. Uh, five tackles, two sacks, three tackles for a loss. Um, he was great. And, you know, they did give up 31 points, right? But but they they came up when needed. Um, and, and made stops against a, a pretty good Texas offense that has a lot of weapons. You know, Zabra Worthy just declared for the NFL draft. Uh, Quinn Ewers will go to the NFL eventually. I think Jatavion Sanders has an NFL future as well. Um, so, you know, Texas, they were obviously down Jonathan Brooks, their star running back, but th- their, their, their offense was still really good. Definitely the best Big 12 offense. Um, and, and Washington did, did a good job of, of stifling them, not necessarily shutting them down completely, uh, but kind of keeping them off rhythm, off balance. Uh, getting there in the backfield to pressure Ewers. Um, and, and that helped them win the game as well. But ultimately, you get Washington in that dome on turf to track meet, man. And, and they were just slinging the ball all over the place. And um, they know how to win games. That's another thing. They, they, they have not won a lot of blowout games. They win a lot of close games. And, and that was another thing, another one-score win for Washington. Um, and, and they feel like a bit of th- a bit of team of destiny. You know, they they keep getting disrespected you know they weren't the favorites in this game i believe they were like four and a half point underdogs um and they were underdogs twice against oregon uh and and they've just been kind of written off all season and and they're going to be playing in the national championship so i I think they're finally getting the respect that they deserve because they are a great team and they're they got a great quarterback and and they're really well coached uh as well yeah i mean they just don't care they love being the underdog you know, they're underdog to Oregon, and they'd already beaten them. And then they're an underdog to Texas, and Washington was a second-ranked team, and Texas was a third-ranked team. Now they're underdogs to Michigan, which makes a little bit more sense. Um, but they just don't care. Like, Penix doesn't care. And like you said, in terms of getting into a track meet, like these guys, if they're firing on offense, it's a three-headed monster. They took advantage of Texas's secondary. D-line couldn't get to him and enforce Penix in any, any bad decisions. And he made all the right decisions and, and made the throws he had to, and he was just absolute dynamite. He was electric all game, and uh, there's just one step ahead. Texas had a chance late, but came up a little bit short. Yep, and um, free Wally uh, or whatever the guy's name is uh, that Penix says in the post game interviews yeah. his friend that's in jail for him. For him, uh, you got anything else before we can kind of talk about some of these New Year's Six games that that happened over the last week or so? No, I mean, a couple of fumbles by the Texas team. There was one yeah. by, I think it was um, Baxter on yeah, a pass play. And they were getting rolling on that drive. And it was just, you know, probably loose security. got hit, you know, a different way and, and the ball popped out. Um, so just just untimely. And the, the, the Washington team, that defense, it's, it's a bend, don't break. It's not the best defense in the country, but they make timely plays. Braylon Trice, who I mentioned, was, was in the backfield wrecking havoc couple sacks and a lot of hurries and pressures on, on yours and just showed up when they had to, especially on that last drive. They gave up a lot of yards, but showed up late. You know, they, they, they did not let them in the end zone uh, those last couple plays. Yeah, it was 
Uh, Jaden Blue had a fumble, and CJ Baxter had a, a fumble as well. CJ Baxter had a had a big drop uh, on an over over the shoulder catch. Uh, would have been a huge gainer, uh, maybe even a touchdown that he he missed. So yeah, Texas looked a little bit off in this game, uh, but ultimately it's going to be two undefeated teams, one versus two, fourteen and zero versus fourteen and zero in the national mm-hmm. title. So I think it's it's maybe not the matchup that everyone wanted to see, but I think it's it's. I think we can safely say it's the two best teams this year. Uh, they're the only undefeated teams left and uh, just two, two really good teams. And I think it's going to be a great national championship. It's going to be a different national championship uh, without the SEC. Uh, there's going to be a fresh winner. Um, and we'll talk about that later in our preview podcast coming up later in the week. But before we get out, we, let's talk through some of these New Year six games. Um, Cause I thought there were some intriguing results, some intriguing things that happened, even if these games don't mean as much as the college football playoff does. Um, I guess my biggest question for you is, do you think Georgia winning 63 to three is a big deal? Um, or is it kind of just something that happened? That, that sucks that it was that bad. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Florida State, they have what, 20 plus guys that opted out and just didn't play. So, 25. The interesting part is that most of the Georgia guys played. Like, Bowers did it. He's had some injury stuff, but most of their guys did play. So, I don't know. I still think Mike Norvell's got a great culture and program, but, you know, there's a difference with Kirby and all those guys still going. Just pure domination, start to finish. It looked like just different divisions almost. Um, so, it was a bummer just that that's a big game. Um, in the Orange Bowl, and it sucks that it wasn't close. There was no viewing pleasure for that, so barely watched any of that ball game. Um, I mean, it shows that Georgia probably had a. I know that Florida State have their guys, but Georgia probably had a better case for being in the playoff than Florida State did. I think so. Um, I know, yeah, Florida State didn't have twenty five guys. They it was a shell of Florida State, and when you're in your two deep uh, against Georgia, it's it's gonna end up like this for a lot of teams, even for a lot of top teams in the country. You know, Michigan would not put up a fight against Georgia with their their backups, mm-hmm. their third string quarterback. Um so it it sucks that it, it happened. I don't think it means anything about Florida State in the the team that they had this year. Mm-hmm. I think they were a great football team with Jordan Travis. Um unfortunately, obviously they lost some injury and kind of what happened happened. Um I think it kind of vindicates the committee's decision to put Alabama in the playoff. Um, I, I don't think Florida State was a playoff caliber team uh, without Jordan Travis. Um, that you can say that they were deserving, but they they were not one of the four best teams in the country. Uh, and you can make the argument that you could put in Georgia over Texas because I think if Georgia played Texas on a neutral site, Georgia would win. That's easy to say after they won sixty three to three. But this game felt like kind of a more of a more of an indictment on the bowl season itself and what college football Mm -hmm. wants to do with these bowl games moving forward versus the Florida state team and their season. Yeah. hundred percent. There was no incentive for them to really play, especially guys that that's going to be first round picks. Like they're going to lose. They've, you know, the injury risk versus the, you know, top team in the country, Georgia. So I think both these teams next year, um, Georgia's, you know, going to bring back back in a lot of these guys. So they will be great. It showed in this game. They'll be top five, you know, maybe a national championship, um, you know, contender at the, at the very start as a number one team. Florida State, they're losing a lot of guys. They are getting DJU in the portal, mm-hmm. but they're losing a lot of guys like Keon Coleman, Jared Verse. So we'll see how much they reload, but still going to be a top 10 team, I think, in the preseason polls. So just a tough way to go out um, and for viewing pleasure. And 
Over the bowl games, you know, it says a lot more about that and, and why guys aren't incentivized to play versus, you know, this is the Orange Bowl, five versus yeah. six. Like, there's every reason to play. And, you know, it's just how bowls have, have been the past few years. And who knows what they'll do? It's the Wild West, NIL is there some sort of incentive or something to do. But, you know, I, you know, don't knock the Florida State guys for not going. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame any. You know, maybe 10 years ago, I would have blamed someone for opting out of a bowl game, but it's just a different environment that we that we live in in college football now and i i don't blame any of these guys for opting out it makes sense for them and their professional endeavors just sucks for for the viewing fan um not the, not the game you want to see game that i watched every single snap of missouri ohio state in the cotton bowl yep. missouri gets the win 14 to 3 over the buckeyes um ohio state had most of their guys now obviously Kyle mccord is now a syracuse orange uh, is that what you call someone that goes to Syracuse in orange? I'm not sure. I guess. I guess. Uh, but he's at Syracuse now. So they went with Devin Brown, who gets injured in the first quarter. Uh, and it's Lincoln, Lincoln Keinholz, Keenholz for most of the game. 16 for 17, 86 yards. Ohio State cannot get anything going um, offensively. Their defense played great. I mean, they, they were out without Tommy Eichenberg, but everyone else played, and, and they did a great job holding Missouri to zero points until the fourth quarter. It was 3-0 heading into the fourth. Uh, but Ohio State just – once Missouri scored and went seven to went up 7-3, to three, I'm like, that's game. There's no chance Ohio State's going to score uh, a, a touchdown against Missouri, and that was the case. Uh, any – do you think this game – and this loss means anything for Ohio State moving forward, or is it more of just a, well, we didn't have a quarterback, uh, and, and we were never going to win a game without our starting quarterback. We were, I mean, they were down to their third-string guy. So, I don't know. Do you put much stock into that loss for, for the Buckeyes? Honestly, I am, because guess what? These might be your quarterbacks next year. Cam yeah. Moore just went to the draft. Maybe you don't get Will Howard. I don't know who they're going for. I'll tell you what. Ryan Day was not prepared for this game. And this offense, their defense played phenomenal. Ooh. They only gave up yeah. 14 points, uh, touchdown, which was actually all 14 for Missouri were in the fourth quarter. This Ohio State defense played phenomenal. The problem was they kept fighting field position because the offense couldn't do anything. Devin Brown, he got hurt. So we never really got to see him healthy in this game. Maybe he would have let it up and, and played pretty well. Kindholz is a four or five star recruit, third string at Ohio State. Ohio State was running with third stringers with Cardell Jones a few years ago. They they were not comfortable throwing the ball with him. Yeah, six to seventeen. They were forcing the run. They weren't drawing anything up. He still had a uh Xavier Johnson, Carnell Tate. You got five star wideouts out there. You don't have MHJ, but I I don't know, man. Ryan Ryan Day had nothing going on offense, and you got a wealth of five stars. This game that most of their guys playing not opting out, so it clearly meant something. They couldn't do anything on offense if they don't get a portal guy. They better hope Devin Brown gets healthy and, and he's dynamite next year because clearly Kindholz isn't. And they were not, they had no trust in him. Nothing. It's no, no trust whatsoever. They didn't have trust in Devin Brown either. And, and they were running the football a lot when he was in the game. And then he gets hurt on that play um, and, and was out. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, it's it's kind of late in the portal process. Obviously, there's a, there's a second portal window that opens up after spring ball. But... As as things stand, you know, a lot of these guys have made their decisions on on where they're going to go next year. It might be, it might have to be Brown, um, and, and he still might be good. We didn't see the full the full dosage of Devin yeah. Brown in this football game, but uh, you weren't impressed with Keenholz, who's the guy that was fighting for the starting position this year. And also, Keenholz went in this game like as the backup. Like I know he was third string all year, but he was the backup during this game. Like you'd think. 
your backup at Ohio State, who's a former, I don't know what he was, he was probably a four-star or something very highly rated, you trust to at least throw the ball when you just need to get something going. Like it, was, it was pretty bad. I know it technically doesn't matter in terms of the bowl game, um, but I that was – they got a lot of five-stars and four-stars on this team. They did not look like it on offense. And, and also, you would think he would Keenholz would be getting reps in the myriad of bowl practices that they have leading up to this mm-hmm. game. If he's the backup, you know, he would have, you would have thought he would have gotten some first team reps. So yeah, it's a, I mean, to only score three points, it's disappointing. You would, Ohio state used to be, they used to have dominant offensive lines and, and they just don't right now. So they, they're really in a really interesting spot. Uh, it, you know, three years ago it, after 2020, when they lost the natty to Alabama, it felt like Ohio state was easily the class of the big 10. And and a top three team consistently in the country, right now it's just they're not there. They're not there. They're still a top ten team and probably a top five team, top seven, top top five to seven program in the country right now. But they're not. They're not. They're certainly a long way away from where they were under Urban Meyer. Now I do want to credit Missouri. You know their defense stood up. They played well defensively and they kept up a great season, eleven and two on the year, eleven and two in the SEC. That's really hard to do. Um, mm-hmm. So. I know I know they're in the SEC East, which maybe isn't as hard as the SEC West. Uh, only losses were in a shootout to LSU and then Georgia, who they played Georgia tight in Athens. So Brady Cook had a good game, but it was really Cody Schrader. 29 carries, 128 yards and a touchdown. They were really pounding the ball down Ohio State's throat in, in the fourth quarter and, and kind of wearing that Ohio State defense down. And that's something that happens with this Ohio State team because they don't rotate guys. They run their same players the entire game on defense and they get worn down. Um, Luther Burden didn't really do much in this game. I know he caught a touchdown, but only three receptions for 15 yards. Um, but their defense stood up and the running game kind of made plays in the fourth quarter when it needed to. And, and they got the win and capped off a great season for Eli Drinkwitz. I mean, he was on the hot seat heading into this year yep. and, and he just got an extension. So good, good times for the Missouri Tigers. 11 wins in the SEC, winning the Cotton Bowl, a New Year's Six Bowl game over a, a dominant, you know, Ohio State Big Ten team. It's a heck of a season. Tip your cap to, to these guys. Cody Schrader was the heart and soul of this game and, and this team. He's just going to find a way to win. Um, you know, 100 plus yards, touchdown. He's gone. Brady Cook is coming back. And I know Luther Burden's a sophomore. I think he's a true sophomore. So I think he'll be back as well. Mm-hmm. Watch out for these guys, man. Yeah. We got a, I forget his name. I think Marcus Carroll, Georgia State running back. He'll come in to replace um, Cody Schrader. Look out for them. They're, they might be sneaky if they can pull it off again. Yeah. They're, they're, then, and this next team that we're going to talk about are teams to watch in the SEC next year. And that team I'm not talking about is the Ole Miss Rebels. They beat Ohio or Ohio State. They beat the other Big Ten team, Penn State, 38-25 to 25 in the Peach Bowl. Was never really in the balance. Uh, you know, they, they outscored Penn State 11-0 to, to zero in the third quarter, and that kind of sealed the deal in this game. And it was kind of just the age-old story of Penn State really not able to, to move the ball vertically and, and Ole Miss kind of have a has a really balanced offensive approach and they're a team to watch heading into to next year because they've been killing it in the portal and they're bringing back Jackson Dart um, and they're bringing back Quinson Junkins and and they're going to be a juggernaut I mean this if this was Ole Miss or sorry if we had the 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 expanded playoff this year Ole Miss would have been in and I think them and Missouri are are two teams to watch I would say even more so Ole Miss, just with the way that they've been dominating the portal, and they have 
a favorable SEC schedule next year. Really impressed by them and what they're doing right now. The momentum's really high on them and, and maybe not as much Penn State right now because they Penn State, I know they won the Rose Bowl last year, but it just feels like they come up short more often than not in these big games in the James Franklin era. It, it They're right there in 10 and three, great season, which is like you almost expect him to have 10 wins because kind of chalk it up to losing to Ohio State and Michigan. It seems like he just can't, you know, have that stellar season of instead of 10, it's 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for next year because, you know, they would have gotten in uh, to the playoff and let's see then. I mean, you know, I, I just thought he could maybe get it done. But yeah, Aller, it's just like, you know, he's this five star. He's, he's touted as the savior and the guy. And just inconsistent. Uh, they couldn't get the running game going as much as, as I thought they would. And they were just set behind. But this Ole Miss team, first time ever, 11 wins. Lane Kevin got a big extension, a lot, a lot more money. Dart's coming back. Dredkins is coming back. They're dominating the portal. Mm-hmm. going to be stacked. They'll be top 10 preseason ranking. It's going to come down to those big matchups in the SEC. But I'd look out for those guys next year, man. This is probably Kiffin's best team he's ever had. And maybe the best Ole Miss team. You know, going into next year, that it could be the best season ever for them. Yeah, I mean, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you you look back to 15, 16. I believe those were the two years they beat Alabama back to back. That was probably the peak of Ole Miss football. Uh, I'm sure they might have a, a natty team, but like way back when, like in the 50s, 40s, whatever. Um, they, they are. This is going to be the best on paper, the best Ole Miss team in the modern era i mean they bring in walter nolan in the portal they get the edge from tennessee you know walter nolan was the the biggest portal name out there and they bring him in um i'm excited to watch this team next year um and yeah they 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 cap off another great season 11 to 2 11 to 2 in the acc is hard to do and, and they did it again um well not again this is their you know first 11 win season i believe ever um but I'm impressed. I'm impressed by what they've done, what they're building down there in Oxford. Must be a must be a good NIL foundation going on there. They got, uh, they got something going on because yeah. they are they're rolling in it. Yeah, and then the last New York Six game. I mean, Oregon they beat Liberty forty-five to six. Weakest thirteen and zero I've ever seen from Liberty. Uh, they played the worst conference, or sorry, they played the worst. They played the worst schedule in in the FBS this year and just felt like they were not on the same playing field as Oregon. I mean, they went up 6 nothing. Liberty did, and then it was 45 unanswered for the Ducks. Got to see Bo Nix play one last time in college. Um, I, I just kind of wish this Oregon team, which is, is a really good Oregon season, I wish they got to play a, a better team. If they got to play like a Penn State or an Ole Miss or mm-hmm. a Missouri, I would have rather seen that than this Liberty team. Um, yeah. And I know SMU lost their bowl game to Boston College, but it felt like they were more deserving to be in this game than than a Liberty team that did not play anybody. They they were just undefeated, but it didn't matter who they played. Like they they got in this game. Small note: Keaton Salter, I think, just entered the portal today, mm-hmm. so we'll see. I think he started at Tennessee, lit it up at Liberty. I think he might go somewhere else. We'll see what happens. But would have been awesome to see them in the expanded playoff too. Bo Nix, this guy just wants it more than anything as a college quarterback. Twenty to thirty five, five scores um, says a lot more about Oregon. These guys played. Bucky Urban had a great game. Pure domination caps off a 12 win season near six bowl game. And uh, they reloaded with Dylan Gabriel. So they'll be right back in the top 10 next year too. Yeah. And they have a great uh, NIL collective. They got that Phil Knight money coming in. So they're here to stay uh, in the big 10 next year. But for them, it's kind of like a Penn state where they continually come up short in the big games, specifically against their rivals, Washington. If they want to, you know, win a national title, obviously they're going to have to start winning 
the big game. Um, but you know, I, I'm sure if you're uh, an Oregon fan, this game kind of just left you feeling empty because it's Liberty and it's basically a you know a September tune-up game in, in yeah. the Fiesta Bowl. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of a game that happened. I don't really have any big takeaways from 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 the Fiesta Bowl, but bowl season overall was fun. Uh, it's over now. Obviously, we have just a natty left, but a lot of fun games. The Pop Tart Bowl was was great. <laughs> it was great. I think that was you know from a marketing perspective just an absolutely genius play by pop tarts um so shout out to them um and yeah overall bowl season was great and uh on to the onto the natty on on monday night some good ones some bad ones but hey those playoff games the biggest ones were probably the two best and it can't ask for much more and on to the natty for the michigan wolverines and the washington huskies on to the natty and we'll be previewing that game Actually, full transparency, we're going to record that right after this, but we'll be dropping it uh, on Friday sometime. So stay tuned for that. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. The first edition of the Locked In Sports Podcast. Change the name just to let you guys know. We changed the name because Armand and I made the podcast in 2020 as the Critics Corner, and we were going to do sports and like movies and TV and stuff. And the Critics Corner, now that we haven't done a movie or TV, because Armand's in med school, we haven't done one of those podcasts in, in forever, two, three years kind of just decided Critics Corner sounds more entertainment movies TV than than a sports podcast. And this is now just a full sports podcast. So went with a little play on my name and, and it's now the Locked In Sports Podcast. So that's just why we made the change. Um, but yeah, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you guys enjoy the playoff games. I mean, I don't know how you didn't unless you're an Alabama or a Texas fan. Uh, Joe, thanks for coming on. And we'll catch you guys next time for the national championship game preview. Until then, peace out.